The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Well, good morning and welcome not only to Bible Hour this morning, but for most of you it's also Sunday School Hour. A very real welcome to you this morning. These days we've been inviting you to walk with me through the Psalms, and I suggested in the first place that you should put on a pair of strong walking shoes because we're going to traverse some different territory and discover some different things in the book of Psalms. This morning, I would ask you not only to put on a pair of strong walking shoes, but to take a walking cane with you. I take a cane with me every morning as I go for my morning walk at home in the lanes of Devonshire and the reason I ask you especially this morning to take a walking cane is because we're going to be walking uphill. Would you turn with me to Psalm 24? Psalm 24. And before we read, let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father, we thank thee this morning that thou hast given to us the written word of God. We think of the generations before the word was brought together as it is for us and marvel that so many understood and found the way of God. We are without excuse. Forgive us that we neglect this map that charts out our journey. Forgive us, Lord, that we so seldom search it for ourselves and grant that today the word may live as we read and as we expound for Jesus' sake. Amen. The 24th Psalm. The earth is the Lord's, and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Or who may stand in that holy place of God. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, or in the old King James, vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah, think on this. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, 
lift up your everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in who is this king of glory the lord of hosts he is the king of glory in my walks day by day down the same lane it's called Ugbara Road not a very attractive name called that simply because it leads to the village of Ugbara in which parish we happen to live it's a narrow lane it leads down a very steep hill to go underneath a main highway called the A38 or the Devon Expressway that leads down into Cornwall the last county in England before you drop into the Atlantic Ocean after going underneath this highway you begin to mount a very steep climb and although the lane wanders backwards and forwards and I'm not sure whether I said it yesterday but I need to say it today I'm not sure whether Kitty Lentz is here but it was her husband who gave us that definition of how English roads were made he said when he came to England he was rather amazed at the way in which they wound this way and that way but he said he'd finally discovered how they were made by a drunken Irishman leading a blind donkey <laughs> that's typical of of dear Jimmy and he'd have finished that by saying uh-huh that's about the only American I can say <laughs> but friends as you mount up those tiny lanes only the width of a car wide you get finally to the ridge at the top of the hill and it's that ridge I make for every morning and uh, I take a walking cane because it helps me not to slow down on the hill and get my heart rate going when I get to the top of that hill and a little out of breath I walk along the ridge a road that runs along the top of the ridge and finally come to a farm gate and there because the hedge is cut away for the gateway I can look back across the valley I've just come up from and I can see the hill on the other side that hill is a historic hill it's called Ugbara Beacon and it's called a beacon because in the days when we were expecting the Spanish Armada to come to the shores of England and invade Britain those beacons were set on the top of every high hill right the way through England and uh, at the moment when the Spanish Armada was sighted and uh, Sir Francis Drake was playing bowls on Plymouth Hoe he was informed that they were coming he said let's finish the game and then we'll finish the Spanish which he did in due course but the moment that Spanish Armada was sighted a fire was lit on the beacon on the top of each hill and in that way the whole of England was soon informed that the invasion was coming and the local men who were to defend their localities were armed and ready to meet them if they came it was a false alarm in the sense that uh, the Spanish never actually landed but we'd been invaded by before by the Romans and then the Normans and so on 
uh, more recently by the Americans taking over so much of our uh, industry but don't worry we're coming back friends and we're going to get every bit of tax that you didn't pay when you saw all that tea in Boston Harbor haven't you noticed how many BP stations there are now all through the country we're coming back friends did you know that Pillsbury was owned by Britain well you better watch out friends we're going to get that tax back and I've said every year since I've been over here that if you would come home we'd forgive everything just pay your taxes stop dredging that tea out of Boston Harbor and serving it up as iced tea and uh, we'll have you back but you know as we look back across that wonderful landscape as the hill rises up to Agbra Beacon I'm reminded that Dartmoor the great moor that stretches like a national park right uh, beyond us is there with the wild ponies and uh, the wonderful uh, flora and fauna that I've already tried to describe and someone to help me this morning brought me a beautiful bunch of flowers so that I could uh, say do they smell anything like the British countryside has a Yankee accent I beg your pardon not a Yankee accent not down here <laughs> the friends I wish you could see that side what I'm really trying to say is this it was worth the climb to see from the top something that you couldn't see when you're down in the valley and it's always worth the climb God challenges us time and time again and we have before us this morning in this wonderful 24th Psalm a challenge to climb but there are conditions involved I dare to say impossible conditions that are laid down by the psalmist perhaps we should see how this psalm fits in F.B. Meyer that great Bible expositor that great devotional preacher of Keswick many years ago said that this psalm is the third in a trinity of psalms in Psalm 22 you have the Savior on the cross in Psalm 23 you have the shepherd with his crook and in Psalm 24 you have the sovereign and his crown and that is true because as we close this psalm those tremendous challenging words concern us lifting up the gates opening up the doors for the Lord to come in the King of glory and friends this morning however much we may joke about the difference between us and you having a president and we having a monarch we have to recognize that there must come a time when we whatever you like to say about it however you describe it put our vote in his favor and crown him Lord of our life you must open the doors and let him in but we're hill climbing this morning so get that cane and walk with me as we make the journey the psalmist says who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place the holy place of God he who has clean hands a pure heart has not lifted up his soul unto an idol or vanity a humble mind 
nor sworn deceitfully, an honest tongue. Those are the conditions to approach God this morning in his holy hill. Clean hands, a pure heart, a humble mind, an honest tongue. Think with me this morning, therefore, of these characteristics. I say to you they are impossible conditions to fulfill. How can you possibly have clean hands? We all have guilt upon our hands. You remember from your school days the words of Lady Macbeth as she looked upon her blood-stained hands and said, Out damned spot, all the perfumes of Arabia will never cleanse my hands from this guilt. You'll recall in Scripture that when Pilate recognized he could do nothing more to persuade the Jews not to have Christ condemned to death, said, Bring me a bowl of water and wash my hands. I wash my hands of this whole affair. I am no longer guilty. But you know as well as I do that there's no way in which we can get rid of our guilt ourselves. Some years ago when we were in our first pastorate, we lived in a little apartment that I had built in the schoolrooms of this little church. We were living by faith, we were not receiving a salary from the church and trusting God for our daily needs and so everything we had was very precious to us, especially our food. Our two children were born there and uh, we ordered every day from the milkman who still delivers milk every day to the doorstep in England, three pints of milk. Several times during this particular week I noticed there were only two pints there so when we came to pay the bill at the end of the week I remonstrated with the milkman and said we'd left our three empty bottles but there were only two uh, new bottles there. He said, no sir, I left three bottles every morning. I said to her, now look, I come down and collect that milk very soon after you've delivered it and there has been at least two or maybe three mornings this week when we've only had two pints of milk. He said, I don't like to uh, say this, sir, but there have been complaints in other houses in this street uh, that milk has been stolen. Maybe you should uh, be here when I deliver that milk every morning. Well, I immediately was suspicious that someone was probably playing a trick on us too. So I went down and stood behind my front door and listened to the milkman put the milk there. Imagine my horror when a few moments later I heard the door of my next door neighbor open. Footsteps to my front door and then footsteps back again and quietly her door was closed. I opened my front door and sure enough there were two pints of milk but there was a ring of water where the third one had stood. I thought, well, if this is something that's happening regularly, and I certainly had been the recipient of that uh, trickery, I'd better go to the police. So I went to our local police station, and I told the background of the story, and he said, well, sir, uh, we can't really put a policeman out there all night long to wait for the milkman, but I'll give you some little crystals and if you'd like to just, uh, the moment the milkman comes, uh, pop out and sprinkle these crystals on the top of the milk bottles, 
and then withdraw and wait to see what happens. He said, these crystals will dye the hand of the person who handles them and they can't wash it off. I said, well, yes, I'll do that. So I took this little bag of crystals and when the milk bottles were set there, a moment later I put the crystals on the top and then quietly closed the front door. I didn't have to wait long. The door of my next door neighbor opened, footsteps up to my door, back again, the door was quietly closed. I looked at the milk bottles, there were only two there. And so I called on the phone the local police station. He said, we'll have someone down immediately. And we were in a country district. The policeman didn't come down in cars with flashing lights and sirens blaring. He rode on a bicycle, propped his bicycle outside my house and tapped on the next door. Door was opened by the lady. He said, Madam, We've been having complaints that uh, milk has been stolen from some of the doorsteps in this road. I wonder if you've been troubled in that way. No, she said, nobody's stolen my milk. He said, uh, can I ask you what that stain is on your hand? Oh, she said, I don't know what it is. She said, I've just been handling something, she said, and I can't get it off. I've been washing it. He said, yes, madam. That was your next-door neighbor's milk bottle you were handling. Came back to me and asked me if I wanted to prefer charges, and I said, no, I think she's probably had shock enough to make her stop, and we never lost any milk again. Did you look at your hands this morning? Make sure they're clean. I was preaching in Pennsylvania some years ago now, at the end of the service, the pastor had arranged for us to have a coffee time so that people could talk to me personally, and one man asked if he might talk to me privately. We went into a side room, and he said, Mr. Appleby, you have deeply disturbed me tonight, and I have got to do something about it. He said, you said just one phrase in your sermon, that unconfessed sin was unforgiven sin. He said, I, I really saw something tonight as I'd never seen it before. I've been a Christian for many years. In fact, he said, I'm a Christian policeman. I'm held in a good deal of respect in the community. I'm asked to go into the schools to speak against drug and alcohol and smoking. And uh, he said, in the church here, people know me. I've got a fine little family growing up and... Uh, I'm looked upon as a Christian man. But he said, uh, tonight, as I've been sitting here, I've looked back and I've seen one incident in my life. I was a young policeman on the beat. My two children were just newly born, very happily married. No reason that this should have happened. But he said, I happened that night to be on duty with a female officer and we drove to a particular part in our routine drive and it was a lonely spot, a dark spot, a hidden spot and this girl made a sexual pass at me and I responded to it positively. When it was all over I was so ashamed of myself and felt so wretched about it. I said to her, 
I will make sure that you and I are never on duty together again. We never were, he said. She seemed to be as ashamed as I was of what had happened. And I put it away and I vowed that whatever happened in my life I would never, ever respond to such a temptation again. I never have. In fact, he said, God has been very good to me. I've never been in any compromising situation like that again. But he said, this evening, the one thing I realize I've never done, and I've never told my wife or my family what happened that night, but neither have I ever admitted to God that it was a sin. Oh, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was a transgression against my marriage and against my children and for that matter against my own conscience. But somehow or other, whilst I put it away, I thought that's the end of it. But tonight I realize it's unconfessed sin. And therefore unforgiven sin. And I realize that somehow or other, all the way through my life, I've been carrying that. Can God forgive me tonight? Can God take that off my hands tonight? Do I have to go and break up a very happy marriage and tell my wife what happened then? Now you may differ with my counsel that night, but I said, no, I do not believe that's the reason God has brought it to you. I believe we have to come to the place where David came when he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Let's get down together and let's tell God what this really was. And he broke his heart that night and confessed before God and pleaded with God to blot it out of his past and if possible blot it out of his memory. I doubt whether God answered the second part of that prayer knowing how clever the devil is to remind us of the things that even God forgets. But this I do know, that man got up from his knees wonderfully blessed because God had forgiven what he had confessed. I ask you again, look at your hands this morning. Are you true, truly sure there is nothing in the past that the devil can drag up and say, this is a sin that you won't get rid of? It's amazing how long things can stay hidden. We had a terrifying revelation in our newspapers many years ago now in the city of Rill on the North Wales coast a woman conducted what we call in England a boarding house for bed and breakfast or even full board where people stay for their vacation ordinary private house but you just let out a room and provide the meals and after this lady had done it for some time several of the older people who came as summer guests said you know, we're so comfortable here, we wondered, why don't you open your house all the year round? We wouldn't need nursing care, we'd just need our food. The lady thought, well, uh, there's no reason why I shouldn't earn as much money in the winter as in the summer. So she did it. And year by year, people would come and stay, maybe stay for two or three or four or five years till they needed further care, and then they'd move out to a nursing home. And over the years, some 20 years, this woman had these people in her home for a while they stayed and then they went. 
And then the day came when her son said to her mother, you've worked hard all your life since dad died and you've looked after this house and you've looked after so many people, it's time for someone to look after you. I'd like when this last lady goes from this house that you don't take any more, summer or winter. I want you to go away down the coast for a good vacation. Oh, she said, I don't need a vacation. I live in a vacation resort. She said, he said, I want you to be away from this house. He had plans to redecorate the whole of that old family home so that she could retire in ease. So the arrangements were made. When the last person went, she went down the coast. And uh, during the next weeks, he began with some friends to redecorate the family home from the attic rooms at the top all the way down through the bedrooms and the sitting rooms and so on. There was a particular difficult patch that he had to do and that was a staircase well. And if you have a staircase in your house, you know there are long drops there. So he rigged up some kind of scaffolding, a board placed across the banister rails. And the uh, end of the board was up against a little closet on the landing. He said to himself, my, that's where I used to keep all my toys. I'll have a look, see what mum's got in there now. He tried the lock, but it wouldn't work. The door was obviously stuck in some way. When he looked closer, he saw that there was a screw in the top of the door and a screw in the bottom of the door. And the question in his mind was, why would mother have this cupboard screwed in that way so that you couldn't open it? Curiosity got the better of him. He opened his tool bag. He put his screwdriver in, he undid the first screw, undid the second screw, then turned the latch and the door opened easily, swung open, and into his arms fell the mummified body of a skeleton of a woman. Horrified, he dropped the bones, ran down the stairs, without even thinking of the consequences, ran to the local police station, told them what he'd found, the police came, the detective finally said, where is your mother? Well, she's down the coast, having a vacation. I'm afraid we need to question her. Friends, when the court case came out, it was revealed that that woman had strangled this old lady in the early days of her keeping of this guest house, placed this body in the cupboard, which because of the air passing through the cupboard had mummified the body and it lay there all those years. And the judge, when the jury came back and said guilty of murder, in those days we had capital punishment, he donned his black cap over his judge's wig and he said, I have the authority of this court to condemn you to death by hanging. But I am going to release you. I believe for the last 20 years, as you pass that closet, you have had your punishment. Friends, I ask you again, are your hands truly clean? Are you sure there isn't something locked away in the closet? that one day could be brought out and proved to be your guilt. 
if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, there is forgiveness, no matter what the sin, there is forgiveness with God this morning. But you have to make sure your hands are clean. Whoever has clean hands and a pure heart. I said that these were impossible conditions because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we've all got stains on our hands to begin with. Only God can wash those stains away. But what about the heart? Jeremiah says the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. The very moment your heart sets you at peace, you can't rely upon it because it's treacherous. Jesus said out of the heart proceed the evil things of life, not just in the imagination of the mind, but deep within the heart because we are fallen men and women. Our whole personality permeated by sin so that every part of us is infected by that sin. Therefore our heart is defiled. What do we mean when we talk about a pure heart? What does God mean when he speaks about a pure heart? He's speaking about the purification of the motives of your life. So that deep down within there is nothing there that is in rebellion against God or his will or his ways in complete harmony with him. Is that possible? Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I do not believe in the context of that statement, which as you know comes in the Beatitudes, which are for the here and now. He was speaking about seeing God in the future he was speaking about seeing God now in the circumstances of life and you can't see God now in the circumstances of life if your eyes the lens of your heart are covered with some kind of defilement let me put it in a simple illustration for you some of you've heard me speak of it before Mrs. Hampton was a dear friend of ours having suffered Cataract operations, the doctor said he could do no more for her eyes if they began to deteriorate. And this particular day, she complained to my wife, Mary. She said, there's a mist over my eyes. I just cannot see as I was. And I I feel that what the doctor warned me of is happening. I'm going to lose my sight. My wife looked at Mrs. Hampton and said, please lend me your spectacles. She took them out into the ladies' room, washed them, brought them back. Mrs. Hampton put them on and said, Miracle! I can see! You can't be optimistic with misty optics. If the lens of your heart is defiled, you can't see what God is wanting you to see of his actions. What is it, therefore, that defiles the heart? It's interesting that the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews, remember he's speaking to the Jews, speaks of something that I've already referred to in these studies. He says, let us lay aside every weight, which was the traditions of the Jews that hindered them, and the sin which just so easily beset us, and the sin 
which always beset the Jewish race was the sin of unbelief. As we've seen already, it prevented them going into the promised land, it prevented them recognizing Christ, and it uh, was the thing Jesus said the Holy Spirit would convict us of, sin because we believe not on him. But to recognize how dangerous unbelief is in our life. Let me just illustrate it, and please use your imagination in this illustration. I just come back from a camp meeting in Canada where we had a very wonderful time with those Canadian people. We actually had red rose tea there. But you know, as we were up there some years ago in the little town of Medicine Hat, we stayed with a farmer who had decided to leave his farm, though he was still operating it, and come and live in the city. And he'd built a beautiful house. And he made that house available to us. He and his wife were just living alone there. And so they gave us an apartment on the top floor told us to make ourselves at home. It was a beautiful house. Uh, not only beautiful in its design, but in the decor. Greatly impressed by the lovely figurines and little statuettes that were placed in appropriate niches in the house and on the beautiful glass tables in the sitting room. Beautiful house. He'd said, make yourself at home. We were alone one morning, and I said to my wife, sweetheart, he keeps referring to the lovely family room downstairs but hasn't invited us to go down I, I'd like to just go and have a look so I opened the appropriate door and down I went when I got to the bottom of beautiful carpeted staircase there was a, a beautiful room almost the size of the underneath of the whole house beautifully furnished Lovely stone fireplace at the far end with a beautiful cross swords and a shield over it. Everything about that room was as beautiful as the rest of the house. Whoever had arranged the decor had real taste. But the thing that intrigued me were the number of doors around that room. I couldn't resist it. He'd said, make yourself at home. So I tried the first door, opened it. Furnace. Air conditioning unit, close it. Open the second door. Washer, dryer, utility room. Tried the third door, locked. Ah, found the key. Put it in the lock, turned the lock, and I just opened the door that much when the snout of a German shepherd came round that door, past me, up those stairs, into that sitting room, and I heard glass and china smashing in every direction, friends. And at that very moment, the front door opened and I heard a voice saying, what are you doing up here? Mr. Knogel grabbed that German shepherd by the scruff of the neck and brought it down and threw it in that room and shut the door and turned to me and said, why did you open that door? I said lamely, well, you did tell me to make myself at home. You don't believe that story, do you? He didn't even have a German shepherd. <laughs> but you do. You do. Locked away in our heart, there may be the secret of unbelief, anger, Rebellion against God, a heart that is still defiled, 
by something that does not walk in harmony with God's will. Oh, friends, beware. I've just read a sad story. I won't mention the man's name. The book is called Farewell to God. Story of a man who once was the closest companion and fellow evangelist with Billy Graham. Somewhere along the line, that man began to give way to the doubts in his heart, which ultimately turned to rank unbelief. And now he's written this book, destroying everything that he can think of that we hold dear as Christians, pouring scorn upon those who dare to believe in the reality of God and the truth of his word. Where did it all begin? Unbelief. Snout of that German shepherd just coming out and ripping havoc. Oh, friends, I plead with you this morning. When we talk about entire sanctification, the word means to be entirely separated to God. Not as a monk in a monastery in isolation, but somebody who is wonderfully sanctified by God whose heart has been cleansed of that evil unbelief that will ultimately rebel against God and destroy your testimony and cause you to move out of not only the will of God but the way of God and ultimately be lost in apostasy. I don't invite you to buy that book, Farewell to God, but I do invite you to take the warning this morning. We need a clean heart because the heart of man, naturally speaking, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. What's God's remedy? There is one word used concerning the heart. It is cleansing. It's not used of the mind or the body, but it's used of the heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. And when a heart is pure, friends, it cannot have any defilement left. No woman, when she does her washing, and you know how you're used to do it, with all the muscle power and strength of your body, now the only thing that's tired on a washing day is your finger as you press the buttons. But friends, you would never be satisfied if you were hanging out that clothes, and of course now you don't even do that but the corner of the sheet just touched the floor and was dirty, you'd say, we've got to wash it again. It's not clean. God looks upon the human heart and he's not satisfied until you allow the precious blood of Christ to cleanse you from all sin. Deal the death blow to that rebel unbelief, that German shepherd that will destroy your house friends I don't want to labor the point this morning but if cleansing is the word that's used concerning the heart it's unique because when God speaks about the mind he speaks with another word it's renewal and that's a process when he speaks about the body it's quickened to fulfill the will of God that's a process. But the heart needs a crisis of cleansing. 
And I ask you, not only are your hands free from guilt this morning, but is your heart cleansed of unbelief? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to an idol or vanity, a humble mind. Paul speaks about the carnal mind, a mind that is chained to this world. And because of that is in rebellion against God. He says it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. We have to recognize this morning that God has to deal with our mind. But it is a renewal process. You know as well as I do that if the devil has injected a thought into our mind, maybe uncleanness or maybe doubt as we've suggested from the heart, then you know very well that he can soon capture your whole being and your whole attitude and activity simply by having your mind. But there is a cure for that. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. And uh, knowing our need for protection, Paul speaks about putting on the helmet of salvation. Now where do you put a helmet? Silly question. On your head. Let me make it even more silly. When I was in the army just for two short years, I had to learn to march. And we had a sergeant who taught us to march. He'd lost an arm during the conflict didn't stop him being a very good soldier and a very good trainer of young recruits. We had a fighter pilot in the war, Douglas Bader, who'd lost both his legs. He had to be lifted in and out of his plane every time he went on a sortie. But it didn't stop him being one of our ace pilots and shooting down more Germans than anybody else. But you know in the medical corps, and I served for two years in the medical corps, my training was as a grocer. That's why they put me there. And you know, as I looked around me at the various people who came through the hospital with various injuries and incapacities, I never saw one single soldier, sailor or airman come in without a head. Is that silly? Of course it is. The devil doesn't need to get the rest of your circumstances. He only needs to get your mind. So Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. And friends, that's a very beautiful word, soteria. In this particular form, it's only used four times in the New Testament. One of the other times is when Simeon comes into the temple, sees the baby Jesus, takes him in his arms and says, Now, lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Same word. What does it mean? He was looking at the person of Jesus and everything he needed for salvation was right there. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Oh, friends, this morning there is an answer to the mind. And as for the body, of course, the word is quickening. Paul speaks in Romans 8 of the body having been the servant of sin now can become the servant of righteousness. You don't have to be plagued by the problems of your body. God can quicken that body. Does not mean to say that always you'll be free from sickness or from infirmity, but it does mean that your body does not need to be the servant of sin. 
It can be quickened by the Holy Spirit to walk in the ways of God. Clean hands, pure heart, humble mind, an honest tongue, who hath not sworn deceitfully. Remember the Exxon Valdez? Remember what happened to that ship? In the uh, reports that came out afterwards, it was decided that the wrong man was on the bridge controlling the steerage of that ship. Oh, friends, James says the tongue is impossible to tame. But I know someone who can keep a watch over the door of my lips. Friends, this morning, who's in control? Who's guarding your conversation? A word is only controlled before it's spoken. Once it's out, it can, as James said, set on fire the whole course of nature. Destroy a personality. Destroy a reputation. Oh, we need God to deal with our tongue. To so be in control of our life that as he as a, a ship is guided by its little rudder at the back, so the Lord can make those adjustments and steer us through this world with a tongue that is controlled by him. Do I need to say more this morning? As we walk together up this hill, I hope you brought your walking cane and I hope you kept in step with me until we get to the top. Because as I said at the beginning, it's always good to climb the hill because we see something up there we can't see from down in the valley. Do you recall that God called Abraham to take Isaac to climb a hill? I don't believe it was a very high hill. I don't believe it was a, a mountain in the true sense, just like the hill I climb every morning in my walk. But you know what happened at the top, don't you? He went up there in perfect faith, never doubting for a moment. In fact, the New Testament said he believed though he was going to kill his son, God was able to raise him from the dead. That was his faith. No unbelief there. Something I can hardly imagine. To actually put a knife into the bosom of your own son. But Abraham saw and trusted God in such a way with a clean heart that he could do it. And he stood there with the knife poised. And you remember how God called Abraham, Abraham, here am I. Touch not the lad, neither do him any harm. For now I know that you love me. And Abraham turned and saw the ram caught in the thicket. But he saw more than that. Because he closed that chapter by calling the name of the God Jehovah Jireh. Do you know how the old King James translates that? Listen. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. You can only see God as he wants to be seen when you climb to the top of the hill 
and you can only climb God's holy hill my friends if you have clean hands a pure heart a humble mind and an honest tongue shall we pray Lord Jesus thank you for walking with us this morning take these words pictures ideas interpret them to our hearts and help us today to climb your holy hill and see you as you want to be seen in Jesus name Amen If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at TitusWomen.org.